Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are... She's Gotta Have It! Exclamation mark. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of She's, She's Gotta, Gotta Have, Have It! it exclamation mark. In which we discuss uh, season one, episode 11 of Californication called Turn the Page. Uh, and we will get to that in a few moments. But yeah, why don't we talk about what, what we, we want? want? This week, I completely forgot about it until this very second. Oh, did you? I remembered it. <laughs> Do you have a thought? Five minutes ago. So. <laughs> I have been wondering, you know, it's funny because I actually right now at this very moment have most of what I want. What I wanted yesterday was a new coffee maker because my old French press, I am a clumsy person. Mm, I've uh, broken many French press myself. <laughs> Thank you because I just, it was, <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm a little tired. Lately, it's January. I am not a graceful person at the best of times. And I was doing some dishes and I was washing my French press and I put it down on the sort of dish towel to dry. And then I turned around and when I turned back, I knocked it onto the floor and I just had one of those moments of watching it fall down to the floor, being like, oh, that just happened. I I actually had a French press, and it was just a funny moment where I used to make a French press of coffee, and then I'd bring the whole thing down, and I'd pour it in the, in the tub. So I had a hot bath, all ready to go, French press on the side of the tub, get in the tub, and then I was just <laughs> so like... you meant you would pour it into the bathtub. No, sorry. I would be... Yes. Like, I would actually yeah. pour it for f- optimum freshness yes. right in the tub. Yes. So I'm in there, and I just had a thought. I was like, this is so amazing. And then the French press tips over, and I guess the hot water... <laughs> It, it basically shattered. So all of a sudden, I'm in the tub with coffee grounds and broken glass after I just declared the sheer divineness of my experience. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to break one, drop it in the tub. I guess it's the hot. I guess it was a hot in the hot or so something. That definitely puts my experience to shame. So because I, I was watching it fall down to the floor and it bounced. Then it bounced again. And I was like, oh, oh. and then it smashed. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And so um, what I did actually was, look, I have sciatica and it's winter, so I'm just using Amazon. I understand that there are problems with Amazon as a company, so this is not my endorsement of it. But I went on to Amazon and I bought a $35 French press because I was like, do you know what? I really like my coffee. I'm going to get the nice one. I'm going to look at all the reviews for all the different French presses. I'm going to get the fancy one that people say makes amazing coffee and doesn't let the grounds in because that is the thing that makes me a little sad in my heart is when I have a delicious cup of coffee, but those little grounds. So And it's Amazon, so it'll arrive in five minutes. It came a few hours ago. (laughs) And... uh, I'm not sure uh, what part of my soul I sold to which devil to get that uh, French press here that fast. Tomorrow morning will be my very first cup of coffee with this French press, so I'm. I will think of I you. want that. That's that's my want because I oh, nice. I don't yeah. it's not I don't need to buy any, anything else to get that. I just need to make it for myself tomorrow morning, and uh, I'm excited. Yeah, anticipating a good cup of coffee. Hopefully, nice. it won't let me down. 
I feel like it won't. I feel like it's going to work out well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, I have this similar relationship with Amazon because of my um, lack of a lot of funds and my lack of wanting to go shopping. I've also pretty much gotten everything off of Amazon. And it's hard for you to go shopping. It's not just it's, that you don't yeah, want to. Exactly. It's, yeah, exactly. It's really overwhelming. So it kind of is the way. But yeah, I'd seen a, an episode of a show actually on Netflix. Uh, Hassan Minaj did a little expose of also how Amazon is a terrible company to work for. And just when you watch this special, I was like, it's all the stuff I knew. But after I watched it, I was like, oh. And even he, he was like, I'm telling you all this. He's like, I'm going to go home and like order stuff on Amazon. So it's just this like awful thing that is. <coughs> Sorry. No problem. <coughs> Oh, down the wrong tube. But yeah, I guess I look forward to a time when mm. my life is different. I don't use Amazon, but it is incredibly quick and incredibly cheap. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess what I want, I really did connect with that good cup of coffee story. Um, <laughs> I suppose today, I guess more of what I have right now in terms of the grant writing situation, we're writing some grants. I have an excellent grant writer who is now always getting paid, which is lovely. And my collaborator and the grant writer are just doing such a great job and they really know my work now. So I guess I just realized when I was there, I feel like I'm at the beginning, but of a really sort of sweet spot in my career where I really have the help that I need. And I guess it kind of goes to my want of last week of wanting to stay ambitious all the time, even when I'm in a health flare up and I can't do anything. I guess I just felt like that was a really sweet spot of that particular kind of ambition that can still happen no matter where I'm at. Um, yeah. And I guess just creatively to really have really useful help is really incredible. So I guess it's a bit mm -hmm. of an appreciation and a desire for more of that in my life with excellent collaborators and uh, a really good grant writer. You didn't see this listeners, but she just pointed at me. <laughs> So yeah, so it's it's still a desire for for my ambition to stay mighty, even when my abilities to do stuff feel like they get small sometimes. Mm, yeah. I've been thinking actually a lot about something that came up in our conversation last week about how easy it is to convince yourself you don't want something when you are worried you won't get it and how often I do that. I'm just noticing that I do that semi-frequently. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. just wanted to say that because I think it's a very easy thing to do. Uh, it is. And I didn't even really realize that I did it. And now I can think of a few small examples. I think I did that too. I think it's interesting to note and it's fine that we did that. But yeah. just to be like, yeah, we don't have to. Yeah. If we can't do something in the moment, we can still want it and then just get it in another moment. Yeah. Or like, maybe we won't get it, but we can want it and that's okay. Yeah, that too. Hopefully we'll get it though. Yeah, we will. <laughs> And I, the thing I want to just add, I'm sure our listeners are fascinated by the French press story, but I went and I bought um, a stainless steel one so that it's not glass, so that I can drop this one as much as I want. I didn't, I never really <laughs> thought of a stainless steel French press. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Non-breakable. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so <laughs> that's the way forward for me, <laughs> getting things that are less breakable. All right. So shall we move on? Yes. On to Hank Moody. Hank Moody. All right. So we have episode 11. Episode 11. Uh, turn the page. This is a, a funny way of describing this. Charlie and Danny represent Mia after she wrote a book that seems to have come out of Hank's feather. <laughs> <laughs> Becca decides to move out of Bill and Karen's home to live with her dad, Hank. And, uh, 
we've just remembered that we're we're trying to be good about credits. So this episode is written by Tom Capinos, Gina Fattore, and Eric Weinberg, and is directed by David Von Anken. Uh, I could be saying any or all of those names incorrectly. But uh, what's also interesting to me is just to kind of keep an eye on the writers and like look at the writing team and how many women are associated with it. That's just of interest to me as I take a look at this series more closely. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I haven't done it yet, but I keep thinking I was going to just Google the creator more. Tom, Tom Copy knows. Mm-hmm. I just would like to know, too, mm-hmm. how this came together. Yeah, there, this is a very low research podcast uh, because we have a lot just, going on. Yeah, we our... just chat about the research we might want to do. Yes, that we may eventually do. Yes. If we feel like it. We have a lot going on in our lives. We do. This is our hobby. So <laughs> it's a little fly by the seat of our pants Yay. kind of situation. <laughs> All right. So with that in mind, do we have initial thoughts? I guess my initial thought that I had just mentioned upstairs, Mm -hmm. uh, Becca, when she very confidently, I'm going to say announces that she's Mm going to live with Hank. I didn't remember Becca ever being that ballsy. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's an interesting example because she didn't ask at all. She made an announcement that sounded like it was a done deal. Yeah. And that's... But it wasn't a petulant done deal. It was a calm done deal yeah. in a way that's really strong. So I just think it's of interest. This show really does craft really strong female characters. Yeah. Considering that she's supposed to be 12? I think 12 or 13, like a really yeah. tender age. And yeah, and I do have other questions around it because it feels like it's obviously about other, it's about a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about that. And I guess we'll get into that later. But yeah. I... It's very assertive for a young prepubescent pubescent person. And also the way, remember she said she just wanted to talk to her mom and her mom's like, no, no, no. And then she just stood there just as strong, like nothing phased her about it. And then yeah. she said, because I don't think even now as a fully grown woman, I couldn't announce that to the person I'm leaving. It's very difficult to make that kind yeah. of an announcement. So I think, yeah, it really shows incredible strength and yeah, the sort of I don't know, strength of character or something for such a young girl, but it's felt very natural. I felt, I totally Mm -hmm. believe that Becca Mm -hmm. would do that. And I do think it's also because it's, I feel like about other stuff. So that does make it a little bit simpler, but. Yeah, because we find out later on that for Becca, she's, it's a kind of oddly protective move that she's making there of Hank. So it's not that she's. That's what that's what she claims anyway, and it seems like there's some truth to that. It may also be that she is frustrated, maybe with the dynamic, or f- for for some somehow the the wedding is making it real for her in a way that's also hard. But she's not really saying that part. And I still think back to her first crush and me and her bikini. Yes. I feel like she probably thinks me is cool, so she's probably kind of okay about it. But it still it was never great for her there. Yes. Yeah, I don't get the sense that Mia makes her feel good about, good about herself. herself. No, she's... And... Yeah. And that can be hard. Like, and I, I also don't get the sense... I mean, the bikini move was manipulative. But that aside, I don't get the sense that Mia's, like, trying to shame Becca. No, I don't get that vibe from Mia at all. Yeah. But she's not looking out for her Correct. or caring for her. Yeah. And I think that first crush thing seemed like a real big... Yeah. And what's interesting is that right after that Becca move, where she turns and says, I, I want to move in with Dad, 
Mia comes kind of clumsily out in another manipulative way where she's like, her dress is kind of almost falling off her chest and she's like, oops, I didn't know that anyone else was here, which seems implausible, but it seems also very immature. And it's interesting, like a contrast between Becca and Mia, um, even though Mia's three or four years older than Becca, it, it really kind of cast Mia in a much more childlike yeah. uh, light for me in that scene. And again, in a way that, like, we understand what's going on with her character. We understand that she's not getting what she should be getting from her parents, the attention. And also, honestly, like, again, Bill is so well cast, mm. but he doesn't look like a picnic to live with. He's not going to be listening to Becca. And <sighs> Becca feels like she's a real no-nonsense yeah. vibe reader of no bullshit. Yeah. So I can't imagine. I think she actually probably would. I would probably want to get, want to get away from that whole situation. And she doesn't, it's true, she doesn't want to leave. It's not like she wants to leave her mom. That's not it. Yeah. But she's prepared to leave her mom because of all the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think, I think I've rarely seen, yeah, a child do a move like that on TV. Yeah. Realistically. Yeah, I've seen weird things where you have kids that you don't believe what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. She always did have a really good dramatic weight just in general as a kid actor, but, mm-hmm. but I just thought of me, I couldn't, I, like I said, I don't think I could do it now if like I had to make some kind of a emotionally tricky thing in front of a bunch of people and announce it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was just one tiny little detail, but I'm always interested by the strength and interestingness and things I haven't seen before about the female characters. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting that, like, on the first watch, or first couple of watches, I, I always liked the female characters, but I really am, like, developing a new level of appreciation uh, for the complexity and the way that they're presenting it. Yeah. And then Hank's like, I, uh, I, I, I've not heard about this. <laughs> kind of like he's on his back foot as well. And Karen's glaring at him with her enormous bug eyes. <laughs> Her beautiful, beautiful bug eyes. Yeah. And the, and I did feel for Hank because I, I mean, you knew at first she really thought he had done something. And that doesn't seem like something Hank would do. And it was just, she seemed like she was really still taking it out on him. But mm-hmm. anyway. But I feel like that would be hard because I think in that household, Becca was a real ally for Karen too. So Karen's kind of losing. Yeah. I mean, losing her daughter and also just losing another real connection. Not losing, but so I guess let's now get to the main, like sort of big, big pieces of the episode. Yeah. Um, Just back to Mia and her kind of antics. Because it starts with Charlie mentioning at lunch with Hank that Danny's got a manuscript of Mia's and that she's going to be this hot new thing. And Hank sort of scoffs at that and says, well, I'll give her budding wordsmith. That's as far as I'm willing to go. I don't think that she's a writer. And Charlie says, well, you know, Danny's, like, got a manuscript and it's kind of hot. And then starts describing it. Mm -hmm. And that's when Hank realizes some copy of his manuscript still exists and Mia got her fucking hands on it. Yeah. Right. And then he storms over to their meeting, Mm -hmm. planning to confront Mia. Yes. And then we can see pretty quickly that Mia, again, with steel... With steel, like will and giant yeah. balls, yeah, just 
calmly was like, yeah, yeah, basically does word fuck the um, mouth the word fuck to him, but he yeah. she basically is saying, yeah, it's the first. What was it? The well, so she she really digs her heels in just in terms of stonewalling him and and blanking him, and then at some point she says, oh, you're right, Hank. I owe you a thank you for helping me with my first. first. And then she silently says the word fuck. fuck. And, and then she says something like book. manuscript oh, man, or yeah. novel or something, uh, which is a threat. Yeah. Just reminding him of, of the fact that she has this knowledge of what happened between them that she can hold over him. Uh, that has legal ramifications, <laughs> not just emotional and personal ones, which would also be devastating. So Hank's hands are tied yeah and he knows it and uh, he is it's interesting because despite the fact that he's seen her escalate in small ways throughout the sem- uh, throughout the semester sorry that's how my brain works uh throughout the season he's i think genuinely shocked that she's taken it this far i think so too yeah I think he thought that when he went in and kind of confronted her, that she would be like, okay, like, and, and kind of give in yeah. or something, or, or, yeah, act guilty and be different. Or break down, which plausibly could have happened to somebody else. Yeah, I think Not so. Mia. She really leans into that lie. Yeah. And she's so confident about it that it trumps the truth. It is really interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, and then the other lady was another book Someone else that all these different people are vying for the book deal right now, right? Yes, that's my understanding. Yeah. So the the people who work for the different publishing companies, I guess. Yeah, and then they said even Random House, which is an enormous, you know, giant one. Yeah. And that's what that's what I think tips Charlie off that something's a little bit wrong. That it's sort of too good to be true. That Random House would want something by the very first manuscript written by a teenager. teenager and he picks it up and he recognizes Hank and it's I love that moment where he goes over to Hank's and uh, he just Hank opens the door to him and Charlie just looks at him and says I loved your novel man and Hank hugs him and says thank you yeah <laughs> I don't know I don't again I don't know what's happening again in the future of the show I, I mm. literally forgot but I'd be curious if other people that knew Hank's writing if anyone else recognizes it yeah, because there is yeah, and there's a sort of semi explanation for that, but I'm not to- I don't totally buy it. I mean, I guess from what I remember, I don't think Karen hears or reads like I don't think she reads it until like next season, or she goes to um, can't remember uh, spoilers. Sorry, everyone. Uh, yeah, Karen certainly doesn't read it anytime soon. And I think Karen is the only other person, like Charlie, who would have recognized it. And Mia says, like, she she went in and she kind of changed bits and added certain things and, and maybe, like, changed the perspective on it a bit, which I still find it difficult to mm-hmm. imagine that she could have changed it so much. I guess I could see it. Like, she might just have injected a few things. They might not have even been that mm-hmm. well-crafted. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess. But it's if everything being so well-crafted, it's kind of like when Karen seems two-dimensional and almost seems like the an, an, an odd mistake. Yeah, because I don't know if I've said this, talked about this on the podcast before, but I often find that, I mean, I think that there's a problem with undergraduate plagiarism for several reasons. One is I think that um, people are not really adequately educated about this 
early enough to understand the seriousness of it. And with the ubiquity of the internet, people don't understand what the big deal is about copying and pasting, blah, blah, blah. The other thing I find is that some of my students radically underestimate how easy it is to spot because I'm sure there's been cases of plagiarism that I haven't seen. And, and those cases are going to be somebody hiring somebody else to write their paper. But if somebody takes something off of a website and pastes it into their essay, that is very easy to, to, to spot. And the way that I try and describe it to people is that it's like, it's as though you're reading like calligraphy. And then suddenly there's a paragraph of like, 12 year old handwriting and then it's back to calligraphy like yeah. it's that's the difference between the flow of the style of a polished writer and the the syntax and style of somebody who isn't a polished writer it's a very stark difference if you have read a lot of things and so that is how I have caught many a many a case of plagiarism and I literally have just like I haven't used plagiarism programs I just go to Google and I type in whatever it is in the paper that looks a little too neat and like up pops Wikipedia or up pops the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. And, and I had one poor student once try to like bald face lie. Just he was standing there and he's like, I didn't plagiarize it. And I was like, I can point to the paragraph in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy where you got this. Like, I would never accuse anyone unless I had 100% proof. And, uh, yeah, and so he had to back down after that. But anyway, so it seems like the same kind of thing. Like, these are, are trained <laughs> professionals. It seems implausible to me that somebody would not spot that, yeah. that mashup. I think we did talk about it on the podcast, but in grade 8... Um, Mrs. Robinson did not know that I handed in an Elvis song. <laughs> I think I gave that example before, but uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's true. I feel like people don't know the gravity of that um, in a sort of cut and paste world. Yeah. So, and I think that it, kind of similarly with Mia, I don't even think she meant to get herself in so deep, but then she just kind of found finds herself here and then she doesn't want to admit it because it seems like each step takes her kind of to a new level of yeah taking it too far taking it too far and it seems like with her pleasure in it she seems like she literally thinks it's like delicious to hold this overhang like she looks yeah. like she's very much enjoying it so yeah i agree i don't i don't feel like she like you know went to his book signing to seduce him to like do some huge terrible maneuver but I feel like she found herself there and then kind of looked around and was like I don't mind this yeah exactly yeah and it would feel like she had so much more control than with her dad who doesn't even look at her yes and still hasn't read the book even after all that good news good uh, stuff about it yeah he just has a feeling that it would be good his fatherly intuition fuck <laughs> oh god he's so oblivious I do feel bad for Mia when, so the father doesn't read it. And then you said that her stepmother also doesn't read it yeah. until another thing. So it's interesting. So she is not really, like she is overlooked yeah. in that way that. Although actually, do you know what? I mean, this is a bit of a spoiler for the next step, but Bill does read it by the next step. He has some things to say about it, but he still doesn't realize. Put it together. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk about the season finale because there's so much in it that I want to 
hear your thoughts about. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. And I was just thinking in this episode, too, you do really see Danny really owning her agenting now. Like, in those meetings, yeah. she seems like she owns Runkle. And that <laughs> leather dress. And, she, like, she looks hot and amazing. Yeah. And, and yeah, is very in control of of things. Yeah. What else happened in this episode? I think that's about it. I think Karen got really sad about Becca leaving. Mm-hmm. Was moping around a bit. Bill was reassuring her, not doing a terrible job. Yeah, actually, I mean, you know, as much as Bill's not our our favorite, pointing out the ways in which Hank is going to fall down as a father, which is also dramatic irony. <laughs> For the rest of us. Yeah. Because uh, we can see all the ways that Bill is failing as a father and he is too cocky to realize it. Yeah. And and at one point it's interesting because Karen says something like, does she not... Re- I'm, not, I'm not sure what's worse, like that she doesn't realize that she's breaking my heart or she does and she's doing it anyway. I mean, I think, I think it can be also sometimes difficult to gauge what kind of effect this sort of move is going to have on your parent like I don't know if I'm sure Becca realized it was going to be a sensitive topic but I don't think she meant to or realized her mother was going to be so devastated I feel I feel like absolutely she didn't mean to yeah I guess it's hard to say I was a bit surprised Karen seemed yeah I guess I I felt like she would just handle it a little bit differently I don't know um I was surprised when she kind of bust, she, well, when Bill was snoring and she was looking at him, but I don't know how far apart they live, her and Hank, but yeah, in the middle of the night, she drove over to tuck Becca in and I can see that. Like I, I totally get that. And then she kind of looked at Hank, but I was like, she's, she is in her own way, just as weird as Hank with her like inappropriate <laughs> wanderings in. Because they're, and the series is also showing us the ways in which they keep being drawn to each other, even though they're, they're ostensibly living these separate lives now. Yeah. And this time it's, it's a bit refreshing to see Karen transgressing or not, not in a big way, but just sort of like trespassing, I guess, on Hank's property in that way that you've pointed out Hank does to her so yeah. often. Wanting to take uh, Becca out for ice cream in the middle of the night and like yeah. just things that seem like a conflicted person that wants in, but doesn't know how to just directly ask. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually that, yeah, that's what Karen essentially was. She she doesn't quite want in, but she doesn't want it. Like she doesn't want out. Yeah. So I think it's really conflicting sitch for her. So is the next episode their wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Because we saw the preview for it with her in her wedding dress looking all angelic. Yes. Very angelic. Hank drinking some whiskey. Mia raising an objection. (laughs) So, and Marcy being like, you slept with Hank. Oh, right. So she told, she must've been telling Marcy right before the wedding. Yeah, uh, yeah. She, uh, yeah, I think they get high. Anyway, sorry, this is spoilers yeah. for the next episode. We just I'm literally so, saw that, yeah, as a little so teaser at the end. I'm so excited for it. Excellent. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting just to think about, like, that final scene where Karen's looking in at Hank, and he's lying there. He's got his Kafka open on his chest, and he's fallen asleep reading some Kafka novel, which seems appropriate, because... <laughs> Of all the existential angst and alienation Hank constantly feels, <laughs> especially just being himself in LA. Yeah, and actually, just the again, there's a Bill in his like grandpa pajamas. I don't think they're actually buttoned up right to the top, but they might as well be. And oh. then Hank sleeping obviously with no clothes on and a yes. book on his chest. It's I hadn't so thought different. about that. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, man. I love the series. Yeah. And of course, Bill would wear pajamas full set. <laughs> like a little bedtime suit. Yeah, like a bedtime suit. And I love a good pair of pajamas. But it, uh, yeah, I guess in my experience, mostly men that sleep naked are more my style than a full top <laughs> pajama sleeper. Yeah. 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 Wow, well, I'm excited for next time now. Yeah, me too, which we will record in a couple of weeks after, because I am I am going to uh, Prince Edward Island this week, listeners. I will have been and gone by the time this episode comes out, because we're recording a few, a few weeks in advance yeah. of releasing. But I will be there next weekend, and then we will be back to our, our normal recording and eating schedule. Yes. Which I'm excited for. With the last episode of the first season of Californication. Yeah. All right. Well, now, now that, that we've, we've said, said it, it we, we got to get, get it. it.